And the church said? Amen. Amen. It's good to see you this morning. It's always good to be here. It's good to have some visitors with us today. Thank you for joining us, and we just pray that you've been encouraged already, and will continue to be throughout the service today. Still a lot of people on vacation, a lot of people are gone, and we're happy for them, and praying that they'll have a good trip and get back to us safe, and it's just so good to be with church family. Spent a few days in St. Louis this past week with my family up there, and um, was able to spend the fourth there, and then I drove back. Donna's there for a couple of weeks, and then I'll be meeting up with them, and we'll be going to Kentucky in a few weeks and uh, take a little bit of time off and enjoy that time as well. So we're excited about that. Maybe you heard, I uh, took my grandson to the airport yesterday. He had to flying out to California for a wedding, not his, but for a wedding. And um, anyway, um, uh, you probably heard the one of the guy that was at the airport, and he, he's going through the uh, airport there, and, and he saw this machine, and it says basically something to give you information, you know, this information. And so he takes a quarter out of his pocket, puts it in the machine, and he says, Hello, John Smith, your flight is at 220 and gate number 10, going to Boston. Wow, that's fascinating. This machine could tell me that by just putting a quarter in here. I didn't say nothing. I didn't say, I didn't show a card. I didn't do anything. So he's fascinated by it. And he reaches in his pocket, grabs another quarter, puts it in the machine, and said, Hello, John Smith. Flights at 220 to Boston, uh, gate number 10. I said, Wow, that's great. So the guy comes walking by. He said, Hey, look at this machine. Did you see this? He puts another quarter in. Sure enough, it says, John Smith, flight 220 to Boston, at, uh, what, whatever, at gate, gate number 10. He said, that's just really neat. The guy said, yeah, whatever, and he just walked on. So he's just trying to figure this machine out because he's so focused on this machine, he's not really paying much attention. So he, he reaches in his pocket to get another quarter because he's got to figure this thing out. Well, he can't. He doesn't have any more change. So he takes this long walk down this aisleway and then over and then up another aisleway, and he finally gets to this gift shop, has to stand in line to wait to get some change. So he does, and he makes his way, a walk all the way back. He reaches in his pocket, pulls the quarter out, puts it in the machine. It says, hello, John Smith. You've just missed your flight to Boston at 220 and gate number 10. His focus was on the wrong thing. His focus was on something there, but his focus should have been on where he was going. It's the way we get as Christians sometimes. We get out of focus. Sometimes we get so focused in on the world around us. We can do that with each other, ourselves, our own personal gains. We can do that with family or other things. And we sometimes lose our focus of what the big picture is really all about and what God would have for us in this life of ours. So today I want us to focus on the right thing. And as we've been working through the series of messages of this growing spiritually, is we have to learn to do that, is to focus on the right thing. You focus on the right thing, you'll follow the right thing. You focus on the wrong thing, you're going to follow the wrong thing. That's my point here. Now, in all of this, um, we should always obey God. And when, when is the best time to obey God? The best time to obey God is when He speaks to you. I tell people this all the time. When you read God's Word, it's pretty simple. Read God's Word. If it tells you to do something that you haven't done, do it. If it tells you to stop doing something that you're doing, stop it, and you'll live a pretty good life. The problem is, is we want to focus on the things that we're doing right and say, see, I'm doing it, but on the things that are wrong, we just want to skip by it. You can't do that. God says you're going to follow me or you're not going to follow me. It's kind of like the little girl at the Sunday school class, and she was being taught, and they were talking about the the Lord's Prayer in the discussion of that. 
And they talked about thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so the teacher simply said, how do you think God's will is done in heaven? The little girl spoke up and simply said, I think it's done right away. Do we do that? When God speaks to us, do we just do it right away? Maybe we could end right there today. Is God moving in your life today? Why did he call you here today? Why are you here today? Are you really wanting to learn from God? Commune with brothers and sisters. Why are you here? Someone asked me a few weeks ago, said, could you really speak from just the text of Scripture? A lot of times I'll, I'll pull a text and then I'll, I'll go to different places to pull things in. And I like doing that, but I study from the text when I do that on my own. I love to do that. And they asked if I could do that out of a, the Scripture today. And of course I said, yeah, I'd be glad to do that. And so I want you to turn your Bibles, if you have them with you, and a lot of us don't, but maybe you have a device that you can look it up. And you can turn over to the book of Luke. We're going to look at a couple of chapters here. We're going to really set the stage in chapter 4, but really want to get to the meat of chapter 5. There's some familiar things here, of course, we know. In chapter 3, it talks about Jesus' baptism. After Jesus is baptized, he's led out into the wilderness, and he is tempted by Satan on three different occasions. And on all three occasions, uh, Jesus sends back the Word of God, who rebukes him with the Word of God. That's a really important thing for us as well. This is why it's important to grow spiritually so that you know what the enemy is, who he is, and when he comes around, how to rebuke him with the word of God in you. So the more word you have, the more ammunition you have, and you can put him in his place, just as Jesus did in Scripture. So in this, in Luke chapter 4, starting with verse number 12, which we have there on the screen for you, I'm just going to kind of have a shotgun approach to this chapter 4 here. Jesus answered, and he said, Do not put the Lord God to the test. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him for a more opportune time. A couple of things here in this process. We have seasons in our lives, there are seasons in our lives where we will be tempted. You need to understand that. And it doesn't mean because you've beat Satan in a particular area that he won't come back again because that's what Satan does. He waits for those moments, he's prowling around, and he's looking to see who he can devour. That would be you and me, those that follow Jesus Christ. Please understand this, though. Satan will always tempt you. God will always test you. Enjoy the test from God. Enjoying the test from God allows you to give right answers so that he can take you to the next level that he wants you to be. Temptation will always pull you away from God and into something of the world instead of something that's godly in your life. Always keep that in mind. Now, if we move on down to verse number 14 there, if you would, please. Jesus is rejected as Nazareth. We know this part of the story pretty well as well in this. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. This is really important. In the power of the Spirit. Watch what it says next. And the news about him spread through the whole countryside. What do I see that when I study? This is how I study God's Word. I read a scripture and I say, okay, well, how's that applying to my life? And this is what I would say about that one. The power of the Spirit of God living in you, working in you, is the greatest advertisement for the Lord that you could ever have. 
The power of the Spirit of God working in you is the greatest advertisement for the Lord. Question, is the power of the Spirit of God working in your life? I can tell you how you can tell. There has to be some evidence. People will notice it. People will say something about you that's different. Always keep that in mind. So now we move down to verse number 18, if you will. He now is going to stand before, he's back home, and he's going to stand in the, uh, in the court there, if you will. He's going to stand before this in the synagogues, and he gets up to read, which was a tradition. And, he, and he, they give him, or they hand him, or he selects. I'm not sure what the case is, but nonetheless, he's going to get the scroll, and the scroll he's going to read from is Isaiah 61. It's fascinating. It's a God plan, God timing thing, always. This is foretold about Jesus, the one that's about to read what it is. He's reading about himself, but it was foretold some 800 years before this. Just so happens that he stands before the people. Just so happens that this just happens to be the scripture that he reads. So let's read it together as we go down through here. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. That's Jesus talking there. But remember, this was written so long ago because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. We're going to pause just a little bit between each of these things because I believe this is important in our spiritual walk with God. What is that? The poor. To proclaim good news to the poor. Well, if God only comes or Christ only comes to speak to poor people, he would leave out some people. Because you see, you can always find someone poorer than you are and you can always find someone richer than you are. So the poor that we're thinking about most of the time, we think about money levels. We think about how much do you have? For instance, when I grew up, where I grew up in Almont, Michigan, as a little boy, I remember living there. We were poor people. We really were poor. We didn't know we were really poor. We had food to eat. We had our clothes. And mom said, we're gonna, you know, we have whatever we have. We're going to share with others and we're going to be clean. And that's what we did. Now, my wife, uh, she, was, she came from a poorer family than I came from. I was just telling Kyle and his family last week, when, when she was, uh, my, my wife and her family, there were five kids at the time, and her mom and dad lived in this one-room house up on a hillside. And there's a big, beautiful home sitting there today. Someone else bought the farm out. But there was this one-room house there. It had electricity, but it only had one light bulb in the middle of the room. One light bulb, no electrical outlets, they didn't have a refrigerator, didn't have any of those things. And you say, well, how did they keep their food? Well, God provides. About 100 yards, maybe 50 yards from their house was this spring, some of the coldest water that you ever wanted to taste coming out of that spring, still there today. They would take pickle jars and they would put their lunch meats and things down inside of that and they would store it in that spring house and that water would run over it and keep it cool. I would say that's probably pretty poor. But some of you probably know some people that are even poorer than that. You see, we think of it on those levels, but God thinks that of it and knows that we are poor. Listen to me. Everyone is poor that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord. That's who he came for. So he came for all. He didn't just come for the poor. He came for the poor because I am poor without him in my life. Let's move to the next one. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners. Now, if we stop there and look at that, I don't find in Scripture where Jesus goes from town to town, community to community, and opens up the jails and says, okay, everybody gets to go free today. He didn't do that. 
He didn't do that at all. Then what was it? It is about those that are imprisoned by what? The sin in the world. The sin in our lives. We are all prisoners of sin according to Ephesians chapter 3. Or Galatians chapter 3, excuse me. Then he moves on to the recovery of sight. Now Jesus did restore sight to many people or a few people that we read about in Scripture. But he wasn't talking about this natural sight, this visions that we see, these eyes that we see out. He's talking about a spiritual blindness that we have in our lives. When I went in the military, I was 27, almost 28 years old. So I was a, they called me Grandpa. But when I went in, I hadn't had my eyes checked for about four or five years. I wore glasses. I've worn glasses since I was about fourth grade. And, but I hadn't had my eyes checked maybe, maybe longer than that, but a good long time. Well, they set me in a chair, and they flipped the thing. Of, this better, this better, this better, this better. And I'll never forget when he clicked it to the right spot. I thought, good grief, I've missed all this stuff. I called Donna, and I remember telling her, I said, I was blind, and I didn't even know it. Spiritual blindness is like that for us. We think we know it all until God reveals it to us. We're like Paul, those scales begin to fall off our eyes. That's why it's important to study God's Word and to grow spiritually so that we might have the vision that God would have us to do. That's the blindness that he's talking about. So we're all guilty of that. The more you grow spiritually, the better your vision will be. How good is your vision? How good is your vision? Is... Is your vision what you want it to be? Grow spiritually and you'll see what you couldn't see. All right, let's move to the next one. To set the oppressed free. It kind of goes back to the other one. Oppressed simply means being enslaved. We're again enslaved to sin and he came to set us free from that. Praise God. Can I have an amen? amen. All right, very good. Now we're on the same page here. Verse number 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, this one's interesting, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, for us, it may not mean that much, but for or it should, but nonetheless, it meant a lot to the Jews because under the old law or under the, uh, under the old law, for the Jews, God's chosen people, remember that, God loved his people so much. Watch this now. God loved his people so much that he set in order something. That if you had a debt, if you couldn't pay it, or if somehow, for some reason, you lost your farm or the land, your possessions, at the end of a period of time, 50 years, or there's a segment, there's a little debate on the time frame there, but nonetheless, at the end of this period of time, everything is reset, and everything is restored, and everything is canceled, all your debt is canceled out, and everything is given back. That's how much he cared for his people. Now, what's the interest for us? That's what Christ has come to do for us. But he hasn't come to do it at a certain times or just certain times. He's done it once and for all. Now, the word favor in this particular, the word favor here, when we look at the word favor, we normally look at it like this. You do me a favor, I'll gladly do you a favor. Sound good? I do you a favor, hey, he owes me a favor. Anybody ever say that? Does anybody owe you a favor? Raise your hand. Why do they owe you a favor? Because you had favor in their life, probably, right? I did something for them, they do something for us. Well, that's not the way God works. You see, that favoring thing doesn't work with God. Because what do we have that we can give God and God says, Wow, I never had that before. A better word used in our translation, or especially in the New Testament, is a word called grace. 
It's about grace. And it is, grace is a gracious gift given, not something that is earned. Can I have an amen? Without grace, we're all sunk. Just know that one. Without grace, I'm sunk. Somebody says, what's grace? Without it, I'm sunk. Got it? Need to go over it again. Now you got it. All right. Now watch this in verse number 22. I got to move along here pretty quick. A lot to say here. All spoke well of him and were amazed at, great, at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful? They were just, oh my, he's so special. Oh, this is good. Wow, he's amazing. Everything's going really good until someone said, wait a minute. Isn't that Joseph's son? Yeah, I think, it, I think well, he's grown up. Man, he got, well, he's the spitting image of Joseph. How could that happen? So he's, wait a minute, this is Joseph's son. By thinking that it was Joseph's son, it starts to change them just a little bit. So Jesus goes in and he starts talking about Elijah and Elisha. And he compares himself, but higher than. And boy, they didn't like that. And the reason why they didn't like it is because Elijah and Elijah were heroes to these people. They were their champions. And now you're claiming to champion them? Come on. How do I know that? Verse number 28. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They're just upset big time. They got up, drove him out of town, took him to the hillside. They were going to throw him off a cliff and kill him right then and there. Done with that. Talk about our champions. We'll just take care of you. And the scripture says what? At the bottom it says, but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. How did that happen? First of all, he's God in the flesh, but he's God. But most of all, I would say, is because of what we read earlier, which was he was filled with the power of the Spirit. You can go through things that you think that are going to take you out if you have the power of the Spirit of God in your life. Watch this. Keep in mind, people in the world can love you one minute and hate you the next. Is that true or not? If you don't believe that, ask any coach. Ask, huh? They throw a touchdown pass, wins the game. He's a hero. On the front page. Look, man, we did it. Champions. Missed that last second field goal that could have won the game. I could have done that. I don't know why they put him in there anyway. They should have just went for it. They can love you one minute and they can hate you the next. Listen, if they've done it to Jesus and they did, they'll do it and they'll try to continue to do it for you and me. So now, go on down to verse number 31 as we move on down as we're studying God's Word today. Getting anything? Say amen. Yeah, many Christmas. Man, we get, over in this booth, they have these little machines. They're called hearing aids. Some of you might want to pick one up. Put that on the list, Lonnie. We need to order about 100 more, apparently. Anyone getting anything out of it, say amen. amen. I didn't say say it louder. I just said say amen. <laughs> All right, God is good. Here we go. I'm doing it anyway. This is the message, and this is what you're getting, okay? You'll be out of here in 30 minutes. Hang on. Here we go. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, 
And on the Sabbath, he taught the people. They were amazed at his teachings because he, his words had authority. And so while he's there, he's performing miracles. Remember, Jesus is his miracle worker. He can do what he chooses to do. And so all of these, these miracles are taking place. And I mean, it's just a beautiful thing that's happening right here. People are amazed at the teaching of God. What happens with our lives often is this. And listen closely. We hear the word of God week after week from a preacher, a teacher, whoever it is. And we become accustomed to what maybe that story is or that section of scripture is. And we, it loses its amazement to us. We have to be on guard that that doesn't happen in our lives. This is the holy word of God. God breathed word. And when we read it, we should all be amazed of what he's done for me. Don't lose that. Don't lose that. That's a sign that a hard heart is coming. Don't let it happen. Here we go. Luke chapter 5. This is where I want to end up today. Luke chapter 5. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake, this is the Sea of Galilee, if you will, the people were crowded around him, listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. That's important. They had finished for the night. They washed their nets to prepare for the next night. These men just wanted to go home, they just wanted to get a meal, get a nap, because in a little while they were going to be right back out there. They went home smelling like fish. They came back smelling like fish because that was their job. He got into one of the boats and the one belonging to Simon Peter here, and he asked him to put out a little from the shore. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Now, I tell people of this, if you're not from here, if you're not part of the congregation here, you wouldn't know this, but I tell the congregation here often is if you read too fast, you can miss what God wants to speak to you. And that's one of the reasons why I would say calm yourself when you read God's word. Don't say, I read five chapters today. Read two verses, listen to it, speak to you, then move on. Maybe you want to read the five chapters, but let it speak to you, not just reading it. In this particular here is... What, what did he teach them? And I, I find this interesting. What did Jesus teach them? He's with this crowd of people. He's in the boat. He's out from shore. Let's say he's sitting on the front of the boat, dangling his feet over the front of the boat, and he's talking to this crowd of people, perhaps an audience about this size. Who knows? But in that process, little Amelia is going to preach today, right? She's so sweet. That's great. And so he's sitting there talking to them. But what did he teach them? He's teaching them exactly what was mentioned in chapter 4. He's talking about being set free in all of these things. Things that we talked about there just a moment ago. I can hear him almost saying, and I'm not trying to put words there, but something took place. We would all agree with that. And I can see him saying, all of you people, all of you people here, all you folks, all you folks following the law? Yeah, yeah. Why? Because that's what they had. That's what they knew. Yeah, yeah. I can hear him almost saying, how you doing with that? Oh, 
Oh. Oh. Someone's coming, someone yells from the crowd, someone's coming to give us the word from God. Someone's coming to save us. He's the Messiah. Oh, really? Yeah. No one can keep the law, someone else yells. No one can keep all of the law. It's, imp- it's too hard. You can hear this interaction. Something's taking place. And I can hear Jesus either saying, perhaps, I know. I know the one that comes will extend grace to all man. For he will die on a cross for the sins of the world and all of your sins as well. There's a new covenant with all God's people. And they're listening intently. You see, my friend, the law, that's what they were under at this time. The the law was given to show what sin is. So we try to keep the law. Watch this. We try to keep the law, but what we do now, to these days, we call them rules. We even, we even go so far as to call those rules that we've made doctrine. And we have to be real careful with that. There is a doctrine, and we are to follow it. But there are rules that are not doctrine. We always need to know that. And so what we do is we try to keep the law like we would keep a law, or like a speed limit, if you will. Just use that for example. But we break the law. Anybody go over the speed limit? Be honest. Anybody never go over the speed limit that has a driver's license? That means we're all guilty. Every one of us. I think I did that once. I'm not really sure, but... (laughs) Let me make my point. Where's it at? What happens when we break the law... We get this guilt feeling over us. There's this guilt that breaks in. But grace is totally different than that. You see, the the world needs the law. The world needs the law. The Christian doesn't need the law. Wait a minute. The Christian has Jesus. I don't follow the law, I follow Jesus, the one that never broke the law, never would break the law. He was perfect. So as I follow Jesus, when I make the mistakes, and I surely will, because I couldn't keep the law, I break the speed limit more than once. I break the speed limit, but I do not, I'm not ate up with this guilt inside of me because I praise Jesus for setting me free from the law. How do I know that? Well, this fall, coming this fall, coming this fall, there's going to be a class on Romans. Romans 8 says what? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. I'm in Christ. Not in Christ, out of Christ, in Christ, out of Christ, in Christ, out of Christ, that some people would teach. If we're in Christ, we're in His grace that He has extended to us in that. Now there's no more condemnation. So what it does, it removes that guilt from me. So that when I'm doing something I'm not supposed to do, the Spirit moves in and says, What you doing? What you looking at? What you reading? You see, that, that, that Spirit is now moving us. I'm not obeying the law. I'm obeying my Spirit, which says, No, 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 no. You're my son. 
You've died to that. Come on. Just like you would your son or your daughter that's doing something they don't need to be doing. No, 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 we don't do that. Come on. Oh, yeah. All right, Mommy. All right, Daddy. That's the beauty of God's wonderful grace in our lives. Can I have an amen? Amen. What Jesus was teaching them is the law can't save you or set you free. But the one sitting on this little boat has come to do both. Let's go on. Verse number four. When they had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out to the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Wow. Deep water. There is a shallow water faith and there is a deep water faith. I've walked in both. Shallow water faith means I'm above water all the time. Deep water faith, I might find myself way over my head at times. But deep water faith always leads to a great catch. Jesus wants to take somebody here today out of that shallow water faith and move you to the deep waters for the catch that he has for you. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Let me say a couple things right here real quick. At times you may feel as though you've worked really hard at something in your life and nothing has been the result. You've prayed real hard, haven't you? Nothing. You're studying the Word and you're going to church and you're trying to to live right. You're trying to... And nothing. That's tough times, isn't it? And you're like, what, what's going on? And you go back over it. And you're, you're trying to search me, oh God, and, and know my heart and see if there's offensive ways so I can get that, puke that up and so I can get that out of my way so it won't block the blessing you have for me. But Lord, nothing. I don't hear nothing. I don't see nothing. It's just not there for me. It's not. I want to ask you today, is the Lord asking you to trust him to let down your nets in the deep water of faith? Don't you think you've been in the shallow water long enough? What's your results? Harvest cannot come without an act of obedience in your life. What does that mean? If you don't follow the directions that he gives you, you can't expect to get the blessing that he has waiting for you. It's impossible. You want to be saved but you haven't followed the directions to be saved. But you want to be saved. Follow the directions to be saved, and you're saved. Claim Him as Lord and Savior. Repent of your sins. Confess that He is Jesus, the Son of the living God, that He died on a cross for your sins. Accept that new birth. And be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you will be saved. Now Simon is a guy we pick on a lot in Scripture. I know I do. But I relate with Simon probably more than most of the other characters in Scripture. He's kind of a guy that has a tendency to get himself in a lot of trouble. He's got the right heart, but he just seems to open mouth, insert foot too much. Did you ever do that? 
Anybody do that? Anybody good at chewing on some foot? Huh? All right. Well, that's, that's the kind of guy we're talking about. But however, here, watch this, I'll teach you something. Here, he first tells Jesus the truth. I find it fascinating. Notice how he says it. He says, Master, we've worked hard all night. God has no problem with you telling him how you feel. Have you told him how you feel? Are you only telling yourself and others? When will you take time to tell God how you feel? Even if you're angry, tell God, I'm angry. I'm mad. I'm hurt. I'm in pain. I'm in sorrow. I feel neglected. I feel unwanted. Tell God. Tell Him how you feel. He doesn't have a problem with that at all. So Peter says, Lord, we've worked hard all night. But notice what Simon says next. Because you say so, I will do it. Catch this. No pun intended, Joe. Catch this. If you are listening to a lot of people's advice to fix your problems, maybe you ought to do yourself a big favor and start listening to God for a change. I have to tell that to people a lot in counsel. They'll sit down and I say, what's going on? And they'll begin to tell me, and I talked with so-and-so, and she said I ought to do such and such. Just leave that old birdie, ain't no good anyway. Okay. Maybe you might have to. But if you talk to God, well, I'm getting around. That's why I'm here for you to do. Watch. Many people give shallow answers to your deep problems. That's the truth. Because it's not their problem. Jesus gives you results to any of your problems if you will just seek him out. Verse 6, got to move quick. When they had done so, when they had done so, Jesus didn't help let down no nets. He's not a fisherman. He's on the front of the boat, soaking his feet perhaps from a long journey, I'm thinking. They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled the partners of the other boats to come over and help them, and they came and they filled both boats so full, began to sink. We all know the story. It takes a lot. Joe, have you ever, you and Jimmy ever caught so many fish, fish, not water, fish, that it's almost sunk your boat? Not even close. Were the fish in the lake all night long? Of course they were. Why did they catch any? It's called fishing for a reason. You can say, man, today is a beautiful day to go fishing. I mean, the temperature's just right, humidity's just right, really no wind, it's going to be great. And you can go out and you won't even get a nibble. You can throw everything in your tackle box at them and get nothing. Ever been there? I have. You can go out on a windy day when the wind's from the east, when the fishing is the least, and you can tear them up. How's that happen? It's called fishing. Those fish were there all night long. 
They just didn't catch any. Where's Jesus in the midst of this? I got to think Jesus is not, this is just how I picture this. I'm weird. He's sitting on the front of the boat. The water's up on his toes. Then it's on his ankles. Then it's almost up to his knees. Remember the boat's sinking. Remember that? That water's getting a little higher on his, or his knees. And I think he's looking at the water and staring at the water. And I think he sees this reflection with a beautiful smile on his face. And I think he's thinking like, nah, that ain't enough. Put another hundred pounds on there. A few more won't hurt. Come on. Let's give them something to talk about. Jesus knows exactly what was happening, what and how many fish were going to be on there. When Simon Peter saw this, verse 8, we've got to move quickly here. Much, Peter, Peter saw this. He fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. What a statement. Can you almost hear Jesus say, because something's going through here. Can you almost hear Jesus say, I know, buddy, and you're just getting started. This is just the beginning, Peter. And that is why you're going to receive the keys to the kingdom. Peter was obedient and humble in this act. He was obedient and humble. Listen, you can be obedient without being humble, and some people are, and they get away with that with other people. But with God, the blessings come when the humble heart obeys the God order for their life. How do I know that? Once again, you can claim that you're saved, but if you don't claim Jesus as your Savior, you're not saved. Watch this. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. There's not one reason to be afraid of me, Peter. I want to tell you today, someone thinks, you might be thinking of God as someone that's just waiting to zap you when you do something wrong. God's not like that. He wants you to be humble and he wants you to be obedient. He wants you to have a heart that's after his, there's no doubt. But God wants to tell you something today, and that one thing he wants to do, don't be afraid of me. Don't be afraid, Peter. From now on, you're going to catch people. So it says, they pulled their boats up to the shore, left everything, and followed him. Verse number 11, I would rewrite it like this. If I had... I can't, but this is how I see it. So they pulled their boats into the shore and left what they thought that they wanted and what they thought would satisfy them, that great catch, for what they discovered, which was the greatest catch of all, Jesus the Christ. These men left their occupations on one visit with Jesus. If you don't obey God, you won't follow God, period. You will keep what you have and miss out on what you could have. And that is what a lot of people have done in our world today with Christ. They say they believe him, but they have chosen not to follow him. You want to grow spiritually? 
follow Jesus. Are you? Will you? Maybe today you chose to do that. Maybe God is speaking to your spirit today. Follow me. Would you just follow him? Maybe it's into the waters of baptism. Maybe it's a, it's a confession of a sin or, or, or sharing with someone else about a prayer, that you, a need that you have in your life. That's why we offer an invitation song. It's just for you. It's for a time that you come. We're all family. We're all sinners saved by the grace of God. And we all make mistakes. And we don't want you to go away feeling as though God is angry with you today. No, God is calling you today. I love you. I love you. Follow me. Come on. Let's go to the deep and get a good catch. Someone need that today? I believe that's the case for somebody. Don't hesitate. We're going to start this song. You just come right away. Just come right away. Somebody will come with you, I promise. Right now. Together we stand and sing. You come.